Chapter Seven of From Slave Cabin to Pulpit by Peter Randolph. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Seven: Religious Condition. In the previous chapter, I spoke more directly concerning the political and social environments of the colored people in Richmond, as I found them at the close of the war. In this chapter, I wish to speak more definitely concerning their religious condition i arrived in richmond twenty-five days after the surrender and was there only two weeks when i was invited to assume the pastorate of the ebenezer baptist church i accepted the same for three months trial and at the expiration of that time was duly called as the regular pastor this was at the beginning of an important era in the religious history of the colored people this church as well as others through the south had never had a colored pastor he who was considered the under-shepherd and was expected to lead his flock into the green pastures and beside the still waters was always white. Why the colored people should now change their old pastures for new ones may be more easily imagined than described. But this must be said, that the colored people as a whole had but little confidence and faith in their white pastors as religious leaders. They rather looked upon them as parts of the machinery that belonged to slavery, and regarded them more as religious bosses, whose duty it was to keep them in their places by persuading them to be contented with their present lot, and obey their masters in the flesh, for such was well-pleasing to God. Now they were free and had a voice in selecting their pastor. It is not unreasonable to suppose that they wanted a pastor who could sympathize with them in their afflictions and remember the bondman as bound with him. They wanted one who could preach without fear, not only on obedience, but on love, the fatherhood of God, and the brotherhood of man, and how Christ came to deliver the captive and set the bondman free." On such topics as the foregoing, the white pastor always had to touch lightly for fear of losing his official head. In this new state of affairs, naturally, new difficulties arose. There were no colored preachers educated and trained in the South for this important trust and responsibility. Whatever qualifications I had for the pastorate and my ideas of the church polity had all been received in the North and not from the South. I was brought immediately face to face with strange customs and trying difficulties. I found that the male and female members of the church were not allowed to sit together on the same side of the church. When the husband and wife entered the vestibule of the church, they separated, the husband going in at one door to his side of the house, and the wife going in at another door to her side of the house. Likewise, the mother and son, the bridal couple, the lover and the loved, all had to conform to this rule. I condemned and ridiculed such a custom as a relic of slavery, and soon had the family sitting together, and the young men with the young ladies whom they accompanied to church. This was a new state of things, and soon my church was named the Aristocratic Church. The women were allowed no part in the church meetings. I tried to show that the women bore the greater part of the burden and expenses of the church, and as members they were entitled to recognition. Before I left the church, the women not only had a voice, but voted in the business meetings. One of the most perplexing difficulties I met with at the beginning of my religious work in the South was the marriage question. Not that phase of the question that is often debated is marriage a failure, but how to join together those who wanted to be joined in matrimony. During the days of slavery, slaves were married according to the state law, but lived together more on the concubinage order. 
the husband and wife after living together long enough to have children were often separated and sold into different parts of the south never to see each other again and thus separated they were encouraged to marry again and raise children for the slave market as i have intimated virginia and richmond especially was the great slave market that furnished the majority of the slaves for the rest of the south now that freedom had been proclaimed throughout the land hundreds of those who had been separated returned to their former home but they found their former companions married again they of course expecting never to see them again now here came the difficulty as the marriage of the slaves consisted only in common consent among themselves and their masters the state law had nothing to do with it therefore special legislative enactment had to be made to meet the case thereupon the legislature passed a law recognizing all living together as man and wife after this they had to be married according to the state law just before and after this enactment a large number came to see me to be married seven and eight couples a night the perplexing part was as i have intimated to determine which were the right ones to marry this state of things existed not only in virginia but all through the south there was great need of competent pastors to meet this and other phases of religious work accordingly several who were thought to be fitted for the work were set apart and ordained to the ministry with the authority to marry and the freedmen's bureau granting them the proper license to perform the ceremony i might here mention a few of the many who were at that time set apart for the work rev richard wells who succeeded me as pastor of the ebenezer and is still pastor at this writing rev fields cook rev scott goffney rev john jasper who has attracted the attention of the world with his idea that the sun moves around the earth rev w robinson rev john white rev ned gentry rev jordan smith and others these men have had good records and accomplished much for their race i must say that my work at the ebenezer was one of joy as well as difficulty it was my pleasure to receive many into the church by baptism and during my four and one-half years pastorate to see the membership increase from six hundred to fourteen hundred during my stay with the church i had several of my white friends from boston massachusetts to visit me and see the nature of the work i was doing it may not be out of the way here for me to mention a few names in this connection the first is that of mr john lovett of the firm of james lovett and company mr lovett was much impressed with the congregation he had never looked upon such an assembly as he faced in my church the congregation to him seemed to have the appearance of joseph's coat conspicuous for its many colors he afterward inquired about this peculiar composition of the audience and wanted to know if white people were accustomed to attend regularly at the church i took the opportunity to inform him that the people whom he supposed to be white were not white but colored according to the statues of the south why said he they are as white as i am i admitted the truth of his statement but further explained by saying that the condition of the colored child usually followed its mother regardless of the white parentage that is to say if the mother was considered colored the child was considered the same though the father was white this same gentleman was much amused with a little incident that happened while he was present i had in the pulpit with me a brother minister who was overcome by the heat and labor of the day and was inclined to fall in the arms of sweet sleep at intervals during my discourse i would put my hand on this brother and endeavor to arouse him 
this seems to have made such an impression on my friend mr lovett that years afterward he would joke me about it and relate the same to his friends mr isaac fenno who was always thoughtful and kind to me and assisted me in my work among the freedmen also visited richmond during my stay on the occasion of his visit i happened to preach in the old african or better known now as the first baptist church he was in the audience but i did not know it until i was through my discourse when i spied him in the congregation i made haste like zacchaeus to come down and shake him by the hand for i was more than truly glad to see him there knowing as i did the deep interest he had in my people the handshake he gave me that morning was valuable as well as warm and sympathetic for there was left from it a ten-dollar print in my hand such handshakes were not unwelcome in those days mr william b spooner of whom i have spoken before also made a visit and because of his special interest and relation to the work among the freedmen made a good report messrs walden and haskell the well-known tanners of salem must also be mentioned as among those who visited richmond and inspected the nature of the work we were doing these gentlemen i have spoken of had more than a personal curiosity in the work i was doing for they had aided me financially in prosecuting the same and the visits made fully satisfied them as to the merits and faithfulness of the work End of chapter seven